Hi, welcome to Everyday Debate. Today we're going to talk about public forum with a very special guest. If you would like to introduce yourself. Uh, hello, my name is Ari Skolnikshire, and I did debate for five years, one year in middle school, four years in high school, and I graduated from high school in the year of 2020. Thank you. Um, Ari has, again, has a lot of experience with debate. He's, uh, for the most part, done Puff, and I myself have only done Puff once, and it was in middle school, so it's not really a, a representative experience of what Puff is like. So, again, that's why I'm thankful that he's here today, because he's going to have the most insightful information for us. Now, in today's episode, we're going to quickly go over the basics and really try to go more into detail about the approaches uh, that you can take to debating public forum. So, first, Ari, how would you uh, describe the format of Puff? Uh, the format of public forum is pretty straightforward, but it's also very interesting. And I'll get into that uh, as I describe what the format is. So uh, in the first few speeches, you just have constructive speeches where you're laying out your case. And those are only four minutes long, which is shorter than any other first constructive speech in any other kind of debate. In policy, there are eight minutes. And I think in LD, it's six minutes and then seven minutes. So it's a little bit shorter. And then after the two introductory speeches, you have a shared crossfire which is also different from most of the other forms of debate because normally they're just set where it's one person asking all the questions and another answering all of them. But in Puff, both participants are asking each other questions at the same time. And then, so the second two constructive speeches are also four minutes and those are rebuttal speeches. Um, after that, you have another shared crossfire between the two second speakers. And then I believe now it's three minutes for summary speeches. Uh, and then after both summary speeches, there is something called Grand Crossfire. And in Grand Crossfire, every single participant in the round, so all four debaters, uh, are asking each other questions. And then you have the final focuses, which are each two minutes long, unless the times have changed again. Um, and those are basically just sort of a summary of the round. So the first speeches in Puff are, are pretty simple. Uh, you're basically just laying out the reasons why you affirm or negate the resolution. Um, the second speech is typically used just for attacking um, and attacking your opponent's case. Uh, in some cases, the team that speaks second, their second speaker uh, will also defend from the attacks that were made uh, in the previous speech. A summary is sort of where you're crystallizing the round. You're making the round very clear. You're explaining to the judge what they need to know for the round, what the most important issues are, essentially. Uh, you, that, that means that you should be, most rounds, doing a mix of defending and attacking. And then the final focuses are, are just like any other final speech where you're doing voter issues and things like that. Um, another thing that makes Puff a little bit of a unique debate would be the coin flipping and the first and second speaker aspects, right? Yeah, yeah. So... The coin flip was a little bit frustrating because sometimes you get stuck on the same side for an entire tournament, which wasn't very fun. Uh, but basically, before every round, uh, you flip a coin and you can either choose your side, which is pro or con, or you can pick whether or not you're going to be the first speaking team or the second speaking team. So typically, at least what our coach used to tell us was that you should always pick second because you should be equally prepared on both sides and having the last word is always really important. And for Puff, it gives you a lot more time to develop your strategy in the round. Right. 
Uh, I agree with that. That is all like great uh, tips and information. Um, having the last say in the round really does uh, have a lot of impact on what the judge comes out of that debate with. Um, and with the first and second speaker, um, I know as a person who doesn't do pop or policy, uh, at first, um, I didn't really understand uh, that there is actually a lot of nuance in the role and the difference in roles between the first and second speaker. Would mm -hmm. you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, I can do that. So the first speaker should typically be the person who's not as good extemporaneously because the second speaker, both of their two speeches aren't really prepared before the round. But as your first speech, you know, like your opponents, it doesn't really matter what they say. Your first speech is always going to be the same for whatever side you pick. So unless you decide to make changes to it impromptu in the round, but that rarely happens. So first speaker what they do is they just read off of a script basically they read their case um and then that's that's all their first speech is so typically the first speaker is a very good performance speaker but they're not as good extemporaneously as your second speaker and then additionally your second speaker needs to be really good on their feet obviously but at the same time the first speaker can't be a slouch either because even though their first speech is completely scripted, the summary speech is what wins and loses you rounds. And your summary speech needs to be really, really good. It needs to cover a lot of things that were said throughout the round. So you can't just say, I'm going to be a first speaker because it's less work and I don't have to think in the round. Because the summary speech is probably the most important speech in the entire round. Uh, what's the summary speech and how important it is? How do you usually format your summary speeches? I was a second speaker, so I never really had to give summary speeches. But I will say that with my partner, his name is Sage, and that's just how I'll refer to him throughout the podcast and make it easier for me. Um, but what Sage would try to do is we would try to have a good mix of attacking and defending. So whatever we would, we would usually like sort of survey the round uh, and look at our flows and see what the most contentious issues were and ways that we would win them so before sage would give his summary we would usually take prep time uh and figure out the easiest way for us to win the most important arguments in the round and how to defend their best attacks against us and the things that we thought that they were going to talk about so our some so sage's summaries looked a little bit different from the rest of the southwest missouri circuit because he would try to attack and defend at the same time uh, whereas the summary speech in the traditional Missouri circuit of public forum uh, was typically just reserved for pure defense on your case, so only responding to what your opponent said in their last speech. So I think uh, you made it really clear that really uh, one of the most important things in a puff round, and I guess in debate in general, is the lasting impact that you uh, give the judge with your final speech. Mm -hmm. Um, but what would you say would be like some strategies or methodology that should be applied um, leading up to that point in the final speech? Yeah, so the summary is actually the second to last speech. I just want to make that really clear. Uh, but it's really important because if you give a really bad summary, the debater that's giving the final focus has no ground to talk about. So sort of leading up to your second to last and last speeches, the second half of the round, uh, there are a couple of strategies you can do, and they can all be used at different parts uh, of the debate process, and this can even extend to out of the round. 
So Sage and I would try to pick topics to write our cases on in a very purposeful manner. We would try to pick topics that we knew would encompass a lot of the arguments that our opponents would talk about, but they were also really easy to defend that had large impacts. So I, I can't really think of any examples off the top of my head, but that was pretty much why we ran cases with one or two very important arguments and spelled them out sort of step by step so the judge could understand it. And that's just as simple as it is. That might be one of the best strategies you can have. You don't want to overload the judge with lots and lots of information from the start of the round. And you probably shouldn't do it at any point in the round, but you certainly shouldn't start off the round by sort of bombarding the judge with 18 different arguments. You really want to get it down to one or two, and you want to tell a clear story throughout the round. And so that strategy was, was rather lucrative for us and our success uh, on the debate circuit. But at the same time, there are plenty of other strategies that you can use to win. Um, if you're debating teams and your judge knows what's going on and they say that they're okay with you going a little bit faster or you see that they're flowing, you can put a lot of responses on your opponent's case. And because the speeches are so short, if you're able to efficiently get through like 10 to 12 responses in your rebuttal speech, in summary, it's really hard for debaters to respond to 12 different things in three minutes. So at that point, they're probably going to drop some pretty important arguments. And then in your final focus, or if you have the second summary, you can just extend the arguments that they dropped and you have a pretty clear path to winning the ballot that way. Um, but also just know what you're talking about. I found that that was really important. Perceived dominance is really huge in public forum. Uh, I can't tell you how many times like crossfire shouldn't be the way win or lose a round, but for judges that don't necessarily know what's going on inside of the debate space and they're more lay judges, um, you should try to do as well as you can in these crossfires. And the way that I did that was being very well read on all the topics and knowing more about my opponent's evidence and stuff than they did and calling the, your opponents out for evidence that they don't know is wrong is a really good way to establish dominance and not just dominance but like make it seem like you know more than your opponent does about the topic you're debating that's very important uh in puff and i would say in debate in general yeah i i totally get that um uh it's not like the other speeches in debates are unimportant or aren't useful but uh the way i view cross-examination it's like I would, I would guess I could say it's where the real debate happens or the real argumentation and clash happens because mm. that's the only point in time where you're actively um, engaging with your opponent and they're talking at the same time as you and you're both talking right in front of the judge. Um, yeah. Besides those strategies, uh, what are some things and some strategies that you see beginner um, puff debaters or any debaters in general um, try to utilize and they turn out to be I guess more harmful than uh, useful yeah so at, at times uh, you'll have novice debaters or, or less experienced debaters they'll watch varsity debaters do things and then they'll try to replicate them and it doesn't really work so whenever I debated I, I'm a pretty fast speaker and if I ever saw, like, other people just sort of could not speak at the pace that I could and be comprehensible. 
so I was able to get in a lot of information, but I was able to do so in a way that the judges could understand. I've seen a ton of different debaters just sort of speed through information, but they'll either do it like they, they'll mumble through it or they just do it in a way that you as a judge, you can't understand. So that's one thing that I see that debaters do that they probably shouldn't do until they get to, to be more experienced and have confidence in their abilities to speak quickly, but also coherently. Um, additionally, I like to have fun in the round. So I would try to like insert humor and jokes at certain points. And the more comfortable you are in a public speaking setting and the more experience you have with debate and doing those kinds of things, the better it plays off to the judge because there are certain times where you'll hear a novice make a really stilted joke and it just falls completely flat and it makes the person sound like they don't know what they're talking about or it sort of usurps credibility away from what they're saying. So you have to sort of walk this tightrope that I don't think a lot of less experienced debaters know how to do. But it's all about letting your personality come through in the round, and it just takes a little bit of time for that to happen. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I think something that happens a lot with beginners in any type of like area in life besides just like competitive debate is that beginners right. will enter something and they'll just see um you know more experienced people doing things and it's just like it's all optics to them they they don't exactly understand um how or, or the function of what these more experienced people will do yeah yeah so i guess i i just want to continue recommending what i've recommended before which is that i think people should um feel very comfortable like comfortable enough to rely on their varsity uh, debaters to explain, you know, these concepts and these things that they do in round that will allow them to better and improve their debate style as well as come off as a more competent speaker. Um, do you like talking about how you're able to speak so fast um, to to respond to your opponent? Are there any speaking drills or tips that you've gone through or heard about that you'd like to share? Okay, actually, this is super weird. I never really did practice speeches or speech drills. I, I don't really, I never just, I just never did them. Uh, the only practice I got was doing practice rounds. And the way that I sort of built up the ability to talk quickly and coherently is just through, is not only just through conversation, but really just through experience in the debate space. While I do think that it is possible uh, to do it with speech drills, that wasn't my experience in debate, and I do think that I probably would have been better had I done some speech drills and done some speech exercises. Um, but I, I didn't do it, and my senior year got cut short before I really had a chance to do that uh, because of COVID and senior year weather events and college stuff. It's a whole whole collection of things. But no, I, I really didn't do a any speech drills, but I, I just think that. One, one thing that I have heard people do is they, they they save their old speech docs, like, from past rounds, and they'll just redo their speeches. Like, they keep their flows, they keep their speech docs. They they have a good sense, and I can recall random details from rounds that I had, like, three years ago, or even four years ago when I was a freshman in high school. 
Um, and you can just sort of like go back over the round and be like, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. Regardless of whether or not you won or lost, you can look at the ballots uh, from whatever your rounds are, see what you could have improved on, and then give your speeches from that round again. Because you're not having to write new content. And especially as a second speaker, that's really helpful. Just because the more you speak extemporaneously, the better you're going to get at it. Yeah, um, I personally have never really done speaking drills either. Uh, like half because uh, I personally do not like that style because I stick with LD. I feel like I kind of do have the time to speak in a more... Um, I guess slower and commanding tone, but also uh, yeah. because uh, with my mouth, it's harder for me to like perform some of these drills. But um, yeah. with with spreading or just talking really fast, I think the number one concern uh, that happens whenever people try to perform this is the fact that the enunciation usually uh, falls short and everything starts to get like a little bit slurred. So one speaking drill that I've heard about a lot is placing like. Um, a item usually like a pencil or pen underneath your tongue and then trying to spread while using that um, yeah. yeah and in general I kind of don't recommend spreading as a personal preference um, same, same here I want to make that very clear yeah. not talk like I talked quickly but I never spread I never got to that point it's just way too fast no one like I I can't even understand what I'm saying Whenever I, if, if I were to try to talk that fast, I wouldn't be able to figure out what I was saying. And if I can't figure out what I'm saying, there's no way the judge can. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I talked quickly, but not that much faster than the pace I'm talking at now. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I understand the rhetoric but, uh, that people have for why they want to spread. But also, mm -hmm. I personally believe that, like, you never know whether or not your judge is, like, a flow or lay judge at all. Uh, most of the time. Yeah. And also, I think as again, like I a uh, mindset for debate, I suppose, is that you should be able to prioritize and know what arguments you want to say instead of trying to cram so much information. Like you'll be able to prioritize what information and arguments are the most important for you to say. Um, you should you should know that before the rounds. Um, Sage and I would talk about that a lot, as well as the two other people that we that we spent, or the three other people, I guess, uh, that we spent a lot of time prepping with. Um, we would all, whenever we were prepping and writing out blocks and writing out cases and such, we would figure out the, like, we would write our blocks with our most important responses first, just so that way, like, response number one would be, like, for us at least, a better reference point than, like, response number six of 12 or something. Um, it was just easier for us to figure out where we needed to put things and the importance of what we were saying. And it's the same thing. Like Sage and I would talk about which impacts and which links and which stories and which things that we should go for uh, in the later stages of rounds if teams ran certain arguments against us and things like that. So just I think if you can hammer out a, an in-round strategy before the round starts, you're going to be in a really good place. But also just I uh, practice speaking efficiently because uh, if you can speak efficiently, you don't need to spread. You can get in so much more information. I know that I'm not speaking most efficiently right now, um, but I don't know. If you speak more efficiently, you don't have to talk as fast. 
you're getting in the same amount of information and that's always going to be more persuasive to a judge right actually uh that reminds me thinking back to what you said earlier about how you saved um your previous flow in cases and went over them again i think that like although that would be most beneficial i guess to the second speaker i think even if you are a first speaker you should do that because um although you don't have to think on your feet quite as much i think just going over uh, making speeches in your head and going over what you've done uh, it really allows you the room to grow and like sounding more confident in what you're speaking and more like you understand what's happening because I think the biggest part of debate is that it's one of those things where you there's not a lot of like quote-unquote like natural talent for debate but I think it's a really yeah. really experience heavy kind of extracurricular mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and I just also want to note that, you know, how you mentioned that you spent time with like three other people besides uh, you and Sage um, to work in prep that, again, you should feel really um, comfortable relying on varsity members if you're a novice. And you should also feel comfortable working with fellow novices. And as you grow as a debater, working with fellow varsity to help novices and yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess another general debate question that I get a lot from, you know, fellow debaters is like, are there mm -hmm. any tips for flowing? Um, a lot of the time I just say it's a really personal choice. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you approach flowing in a, in a round? Oh, I think it's very different. Like, like you said, it's definitely a personal choice. But at the same time, I sort of flowed in two different ways at different points of my career. So as a novice, I was really awful at flowing. So I didn't flow anything that my opponents were saying. Uh, I just flowed whatever I was going to say. Um, so I was like writing out my speech. And this is when I did policy, so it doesn't really matter. But the point is, I sucked at flowing. So I don't do what I did then. You need to be writing down everything your opponents are saying or the important things your opponents are saying and the important things you're saying just sort of what's going on in the round um but as i grew as a debater i soon learned that you couldn't just write and rely on everything that you hear because sometimes you'll you will, you'll hear something wrong and then you'll misrepresent an argument so you have to pay really close attention throughout the entire round not just in select speeches which is what i did my freshman year uh but later on what i would do and i think this is this is my preferred way to flow is i would have one or two sheets of paper uh it would depend on how much paper i had access to i guess uh, i would use blank paper and on one side or on one sheet i would have the pro sides flow and on the other sheet i'd have the con sides flow and what i would do is i would flow both cases so i would pre-flow all of my cases for each side um that way i didn't have to flow it during the round because i might be needing to prepare my speech so i you i pre-flow all my all of the first speeches and then on the other sheet i write out whatever my opponents were saying and that would help me to formulate responses um and because the way that we prepped out um other teams and other arguments was through a block file i never wrote out what my actual responses are on the flow because I knew what I was talking about and I would have it pulled up on my computer anyway. But 
even so, I think having it on the two sheets and then just sort of I flowed vert like my paper was set in portrait mode, I guess. I don't know, that's just the way that I learned it, portrait and landscape. Um I, I and then I flowed from top to bottom uh for each speech and then when as you move across the speeches, I flowed from left to right. So the more detailed your flow is, the more you can pick up on in the round. And just sort of yeah, I guess the only way that I practiced was flowing rounds where people talked really fast, and you can find those on YouTube. And so if you can get everything down in those rounds, at least for our circuit, which is Southwest Missouri, very traditional, very slow, it's really easy to flow everything everybody else is saying uh, in the rounds that I actually ended up debating. So in that way, I sort of think that just like knowing what style is best for you in what style allows for you to get down the most information in the quickest amount of time is is how you should be flowing. Yeah, it, it's very much a uh, personal decision and you aren't stuck with it either because uh, you should allow yourself to just um, grow as a debater and you know your flow can change with that as it changes with your needs. Uh, like you said, you change flow style uh, during the middle of your career as a debater. And actually, I think I had like a very similar experience to you, um, except maybe a little bit of the opposite. Because when I first started flowing, uh, I was like writing down things that were like way too detailed. Like you want your flow, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want your flow to have like good detail um, and a good amount of information, but you don't want to be spending your time writing out like uh, full sentences. Um, when you could be abbreviating things and quickly moving on to what your opponent is now saying. Um, I think over the years, um, uh, it's really important for me uh, to have it be very visual uh, because my flow has always been super disorganized. So now, yeah, I've I've been relying a lot more on drawing like arrows and numbering my arguments and points for my speeches. That is very important. It just sort of helps you organize yourself. Right. Like, it's a lot hard, harder to utilize flow if you don't know, like, the actual order or how things all interconnect. So it's very important for you to figure out some way, it could be any way, uh, to notify and tell yourself, basically, what your speech is actually trying to do. Yeah, and that is why, in my opinion, signposting is one of the most important things you can do in a debate round. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, debate is an educational activity that's meant to sort of like further knowledge and discourse on on topics. And for Puff, they're typically pretty timely topics. Uh, one of one of our topics was talking about Saudi Arabia and the stuff that was going on in Yemen and the war that's being fueled there by Saudi Arabia, the United States, and a bunch of other actors. So. Uh, at the end of the day, signposting, which is sort of explaining where you're going during a speech. So just using the terms first, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. uh, And just sort of outlining where you're going while you're talking is not only really important for you as a debater because it helps the judge understand where you're going, but you will also realize that when you're trying to flow around, regardless of whether or not you're participating in it, if they're not, if the people you're listening to, if they're not signposting, you don't know where to put stuff on your flow. And speaking from experience, it was really frustrating uh, to compete against debaters and me not having a, a clue where their arguments fit on the flow. Right. Like, 
I think it's a it's it's a really good um, method to do both to help yourself, your opponent, and the judge, because the judge yeah. can easily get lost in in everything, especially if both sides are trying to speak a bit fast so they can get all the information out there. Um, it's something that I also have to work on, but. Um, another thing you can do that is kind of similar to signposting, although I like heavily, heavily suggest that you kind of read the room of your opponents, your judge, and as well as the circuit. But I've noticed that um, in some places, doing an off-the-clock roadmap is pretty popular. Um, personally, yeah. I don't like it, but it is an option for you to do out there. I know what I would do whenever, if I felt that... Um where my speech might be confusing is I would just say where I was starting my speech at. So I would be like, or I would say something along the lines of this speech is going to start on our second contention before I started my speech or something like that. But instead of saying, I'm going to do an off the clock roadmap, you're just signaling to the judge and your opponent where the speech is starting. Right. Right. Um, Personally, usually what I end up doing is saying like, uh, for my say, for my negative uh, rebuttal, I'm going to start off by responding to my opponent's rebuttal and then rebuilding up my points. And then, you know, you continue to talk. And then if you have to specify exactly what argument or what point you're making, you can do that in the middle of the speech. And I think it is still like thorough enough for your opponent and judge to understand. Yeah, you just have to, to make it clear where you're going, where you're starting, and just everything along the way should also be clear. But just knowing where someone is in their speech is very important. Yeah. Um, would you say there are, like, anything, anything like, specific to public forum in terms of, like, what is considered good manners or respectful? Because I know for um, LD in specific, because of the kind of strange time format, it's considered, like, more respectful and consider it if the negative uh, constructive is actually shorter than um, the allotted time and that you actually fit in the negative rebuttal into that constructive time. Is there anything similar like that in public forum? Uh, I don't really think so. Uh, typically, I mean, the only circuit norm that there really was was the team that spoke first, the first speaking team. So. Uh, in a round, you have first and second speakers, but you also have first and second speaking teams. So whichever team spoke first would typically be the team to start off crossfire. I, I don't really know why. Uh, that that was a circuit norm that was that was pretty popular, uh, as well as in grand crossfire, everyone would sit instead of the other crossfires and speeches where you'd stand. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Puff, Puff was pretty pretty laid back here. Uh, the speeches are so short, people were, people didn't, weren't like forced to go shorter, especially because all the speeches are the same length for both sides. Yeah. Um, and I guess like a final question to just wrap everything up and maybe just like lighten the mood. Uh, what would you say is your favorite uh, puff or debate memory in general? I I think I'm going to stray away from puff on this one. Um, but my favorite, well, I guess my favorite puff memory was, was winning a tournament or two, uh, with, with Sage. It's just joy. It's just always good times. Um, and then sort of puff, I guess, is probably 
knowing more about other people's own studies. I alluded to this earlier uh, than they did in asking them why their studies were wrong when I knew and they had no idea. Uh, that was always really fun and crossfire for me. Um, at times, you would just like make the opponents go silent because they didn't know was talking what they were talking about, and that was that was always a lot of fun. Uh, and just debating against people that I got close to on the circuit, we always had really close, really fun, really well spirited rounds. Um, just just sort of interacting with people was, was a whole lot of fun. But I would have to say that my favorite debate memory came at what ended up being my last non-nationals, non-Zoom tournament of the year, uh, which was at Carthage High School. I have no idea if people know where that is. It's in southwest Missouri. It's in the corner. Um, and I had made extemp finals, and it was like the second day of the tournament had been canceled, and the weather was really bad the day of the tournament. And so I had made finals, and they weren't going to cancel it. So it, uh, the round started at like 10.30 or something. And so we were sitting in extemp draw, and it was me, two kids from another school in Springfield, Greenwood, and then three kids from another school in southwest Missouri called Neosho. And the one of the kids from Greenwood was a junior, but the rest of us were all seniors, and none of us wanted to be there one person was throwing up. The other, another person had a super bad migraine. So we were all sitting in in, in draw, waiting for uh, us to be given the go ahead to start draw and get finals underway. And two of our judges were in there. We were just talking, and we were like, "What if we all throw finals?" <laughs> and so we, so five of us, so we, so we all did. All of the seniors. Um, so the five of us, the five seniors, we were all sitting at two tables, and then the junior from Greenwood sitting at like a table across the room i don't know why but that that's where he ended up and so like there were there, and so we we go in and we all give like some horrible speeches and we find out after the round that the junior from greenwood he didn't actually throw and so all of the seniors we were all we were all mad because we were like okay we all threw and this kid actually tried so of course he's gonna win none of us were very happy about it and so, of course, at Carthage, being the tournament that it was, the awards ceremony got canceled because why? What, what else would happen? Right. And so Tuckness, being our coach, uh, of course, comes out dead last. And so we, so I'm waiting. And so Neo, the Neosho kids, they get their results. They are in third, fourth, and fifth place. So I'm like, so I either got sixth, first, or second. And then one of my friends from Greenwood, the senior, she goes, she comes up to me and she's like, I got sixth. I was oh. like, so I got first or second. And and Tuckness comes over, he saunters over doing his, his Tuckness walk, and I won. I won finals uh, over the kid that actually tried. <laughs> and he was super pissed at me. Understandably, I, I guess. Which is fair. Uh, but I don't care. I was so funny. And so, like, one of the girls from Neosha that was in there, she, like, gave me a hug afterwards. She was like, I'm so happy that kid lost. It's like, yep. But yeah, that was probably my favorite debate memory in general. But honestly, I, I can't really pinpoint a single one other than that. It was all 
it was all it was all stressful but it was all also a whole lot of fun i got to meet a ton of amazing people i got closer to a ton of amazing people uh, I got to make fun of my best friend all the time for how he performed in the round at Sage um, and, and poke fun at him while we were prepping. So, I don't know. It was, it was just all it, – it's very interesting because it sort of got rid of all of my weekends in high school and sapped a whole lot of time and energy. But at the same time, it was a whole lot of fun, and I wouldn't trade the experience I had uh in debate for for really anything else in high school i think it was the perfect high school activity yeah i i i agree with you so much it's it's so strange because like you said you know your weekends are kind of all gone and to you know get good prep for debate you have to spend so much time and dedicate so much energy to it and it really is honestly a lot of pain and a lot of suffering but it always oh, yeah. ends up yeah it always ends up to like be so worthwhile in the end you know with all uh the friends you make people you meet um Mm -hmm. but i think that will be all for this episode uh again thank you so much for participating here today you gave some great information of course so uh i guess we will see you later on this podcast thank you for listening